welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. And for those of you that don't know, or for any new listeners, each episode we take a topic that we know very little about and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it, with the idea being that we share what we feel is the most important pieces of information with you, the listeners. Yep, and we're not experts in anything we talk about on this pod. This is just a summary of our findings, but hopefully by sharing some knowledge with you, we can all learn just a little bit more about a whole lot of things. Sounds good to me, Liam. Let's get on with this week's topic, which is renewable energy, wind farms. Well then, Liam, renewable energy, wind farms. Like we do every week, do you just want to let the listeners know what you thought about this topic before you got into the reading and research? Probably what a lot of people thought. You know, they've been around forever. They're famous in Holland, so windmills must have been about for a long time. You see them loads down the motorway, probably more so nowadays. You you know, you hear about it in the press. It's renewable energy. It's a great thing for the country to have all of these wind farms. You see, you know, see them offshore those ginormous ones in huge farms of them. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I didn't really know much about them. Like, how do they generate electricity? Are they How efficient are they? Those sorts of things. So I really enjoyed this week learning about this. What about yourself? Yeah, sort of similar. I've heard about wind energy, knowing that it's a renewable energy source, that it's a clean energy source, um, that it should be there forever. But the things that I was really interested in learning is yeah, how do you how do they get out to sea and how do they even install them out there? How do the ones yeah. in sea even get there in the first place? And yeah, how you keep hearing it's a really good thing, but how good and, and why why are they so important to us? So yeah, hopefully by the end of this, we'll be able to hold a conversation with somebody about it. We do have a fantastic interview lined up on this one, don't we? Yes. Um, so if at the end of this, we've got some questions, we have got a fantastic interview with an absolutely bang on topic expert. Now, due to scheduling issues, um, it's not actually going to come out for a couple of weeks, is it? But I think we should probably just say we do have a great interview. Yes. For yeah, later. that's right. So shall we jump in and get into the topic straight away and start with maybe just the, the history around use of wind? Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier and we all know that the stereotypical windmill off of holland made of wood and stuff it's been around yeah. for an awfully long time it turns out they've been around for like two thousand years yeah and as humans we've used the power of the wind to help us since then because what what they used to do is the windmill would get blown and it would spin and using a bunch of cogs and stuff it would end up grinding i think it was grain wasn't it yes or corn or or basically it could work for us and it, it's done that for thousands of years. And it was the late 1800s, I think, was the first time it, they, they managed to start making electricity. Yeah, that's right. that's right. So the first use then of rather than using it as water pumps or to be grinding grain, um, which they've been doing for about 2000 years, the first wind turbine to produce electricity was actually built in Scotland. And it was in 1887 by someone called Professor James Blythe in Glasgow. And he made a 10 metre high wind turbine, which had cloth sails. And he installed it at his holiday home to power the lights. It's crazy, isn't it? That's a blimmin' long time ago. Yeah. So you, it's, Why yeah. does everything we research happen so long ago? <laughs> 
Apart yeah. from cryptocurrency, everything is really, really old. That's pretty cool. So yeah, 1887 was the, the first wind turbine used for the production of electricity, which was pretty cool. Um, and then they've like since then, so Scotland obviously still has wind turbines in place, but then I read about Cleveland in Ohio over in the USA, have been using it for farming for a long, long time. And Denmark has sort of been one of the pioneers of as well of getting it more mainstream and, and using it for a lot of farming and water pumps and irrigation yeah. use. The um the largest onshore wind farm in England is in Glasgow. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Whiteley Wind Farm in Glasgow has 215 wind turbines. Oh wow! Power probably 300,000 homes. So obviously they've they've maybe um carried on that legacy perhaps. Yeah, that sounds good. But 130 years ago or something. But how does how does a wind turbine actually create or generate any energy? Because one of the things that I was interested to know is sometimes when you're driving past them and you see they're not moving, it just makes me think, well, how do they even they work then? So the wind will blow them. At, right. So simply the wind spins the blades, the blades inside the little box at the top of the, of the wind turbine, they're attached to like a set of cogs. So the, the blade will typically spin maybe nine times a minute. So yeah. isn't that right? Somewhere between nine and maybe a dozen times. Not that many. Yeah. Um, but that will be attached to a cog similar to your bike. That will only spin maybe nine or ten times a minute, but it will be attached to a much smaller cog that spins like 1,500 times a minute because it's much smaller. Right. That then spins inside a generator, which converts kinetic energy, the energy of it spinning, into electrical energy. And then that electrical energy travels down through a bunch of cables it hits a hits something called a transformer which ups the voltage to a more usable voltage i think and then uh gets transported to wherever it needs to be <laughs> yeah essentially and, and I, I i texted you this didn't i i said i wanted to find out how the generator how does something spinning inside a generator make electricity and that's a rabbit hole that i could not get down and out of simple enough that's like a whole other topic on its own so just take our word for it there's a big generator up there inside it that converts it <laughs> i like it yeah i was reading about how i like that they've got they've even got sensors on the top haven't they is it an anameter it's called where it senses the wind direction and where which way that the blade should be pointing it then takes that kinetic energy as you said which is wind energy that makes the blade spin and then, then as they spin, it then goes through the, the generator uh, and transforms it up to the, the voltage. Key, the, the absolute key part is the gearing inside it. Because as you see the blade spinning 10 times, inside that box at the top, there is a separate thing spinning 1,500 times through a bunch of gears. A bit like your bike. You know, if you, if you put it on the big one by your chain and then on your back wheel, you put it onto the little one, that little one at the back goes around much quicker than your big one does. Yes, uh, yes, that's right. And that, that's very similar to what's happening up inside there. And then that that really fast spinning within a generator, it's something to do with magnets. Uh, they they excite electrons or something by going round and round and round and round and round really, really quick and generate. I, I don't. Yes, and exactly. And as, as, that knows that, please let us know. <laughs> and as exactly as Liam's saying there, so it initially spins in that gearbox, like 30 to 60 rotations per minute up to like, 1500 as Liam says so that's where then all of that energy is then getting created to then 
send it off to to then turn it into electricity, which um, is the the real basic way of explaining how wind turbines work. There's not many parts to a wind turbine. It is just the the blades and then the shaft to which they're attached. That shaft is joined onto a gearbox, which ups the spin. That spin is attached to a generator, and then that comes back down through the the tower via a cable. There is a break in there, though, isn't there? There's a break because it can't spin all the time, can it? No, no, that's right. And they just need to be careful sometimes. Um, yeah, they, they don't want it spinning faster than what it should do. I did I did find out the fancy word for that box that sits on the top of them. So you've got the, the shaft, as you say, and then that box, which contains the, the gears and everything else in there, is called the nacelle. And then off the nacelle is where the blades sit. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all built offshore, aren't they? They're, um, offshore, they're all built like off-site and then they come together and just like bolt it together it's like five or six big pieces all stuck together as one yeah that's right so how much electricity can they produce then so we've got that was something the next obvious thing was like so we know what they do we know that they they can make electricity how much electricity can they make so it, it depends on the size of the wind turbines and they're not all the same size are they and so over the years, what, what has happened is from about the 1980s, as it's got cheaper and easier and technology has moved on, they've been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But if we're talking about maybe just the largest turbines that are in operation, they can produce what is something called eight megawatts of power. And just to put that into some sort of context, can you put it into some sort of context? <laughs> <laughs> so a kettle uses about a thousand watts okay which is one kilowatt a megawatt is a thousand of those but a gigawatt is a thousand of those oh yeah so that's it, that's a gigawatt it. is a thousand that uh, is a thousand million watts I think it's a bit complicated. Which is it's numbers. bonkers numbers that, that we're talking about. So a the biggest wind farm or the largest offshore wind farm that exists is called Horn Sea One, which is located off the North, North Sea, off the Yorkshire coast. It's got 174 wind turbines. Uh, they each produce seven megawatts. And so the, the whole farm produced 1.2 gigawatts of power. And so... As Liam was then saying there, if a kettle uses, you know, a thousand watts to to boil itself, that farm could power a million households. Yeah, in a year, about a million, which is mental. Um, But yeah, like the onshore ones. Yeah, I found and probably the listeners found you get a bit caught up in all of these words that just are a bit complicated. And a bit needlessly so, I think, perhaps, when with what we're trying to do, you know, with scratching the surface and stuff. But essentially, an onshore turbine can power about 1,500 homes in a year. So if you see one on the motorway or you see one up on a hill, that's probably powering about fi- – that on its own is powering about 1,500 homes. The ones offshore are enormous, and they, we'll talk about them shortly. They are much, much bigger than the ones you see up on the hills. Um, and they, they can be powering – tens of thousands you know somewhere between 10 and twenty thousand homes a year on their own just a single one yes yeah so you know uh there's a huge huge difference there isn't there between as you're saying yeah onshore 
compared to offshore. It's probably, probably worth then just jumping onto that then, saying, so what is the difference between onshore and offshore turbines? And we've just started by saying it there. Basically, it's, it's the size of them, isn't it, that they're able to, yeah. to achieve? Wind, wind power is all about economies of scale. The larger the turbine is, the cheaper it can create energy. It can create more energy for cheaper if it's bigger. But massive, humongous ones, which are off the shores, um, you know, we can't really put them on shore, can we? You can't. They're they're just too big. People don't want them no. lighting the countryside or yeah. going down the sides of motorways. Um, you know, these are these are hundreds of meters tall. The, you know, these are somewhere between 150, 200 meters tall. Yeah, absolutely. With enormous. blades, with blades like 80 meter blades, like. The onshore ones typically have blades about 50 meters. So you can, you know, it's about half the size again on top of the ones you see offshore. And what were you telling me was the maths between if you then make the blades longer, it's oh, yeah. the area that you're then covering yeah, yeah. increases. So they, they, make, they make electricity based on the amount of wind that they can get going through their blade. Yeah. Now their blade makes a circle, doesn't it? If you imagine. So it's like a, an imaginary circle of wind hitting this fan. Um, if you can make that circle bigger, then you've got more wind to take energy from. But because the area of a circle is to do with the radius squared, if you double the length of the blade, you are timesing the area by four. So a tiny extension in the length of the blade makes the area much, much bigger. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes crazy. sense. It's just some, it's just to do with maths, it's to do with multiples of, and scaling up. So it's in their interest to make them as big as they can because the area jumps quite quickly. Um, but um, you know, some of the benefits, I guess, this, I, I wrote a few down, benefits of, of onshore ones. They're cheaper. It's, it's much cheaper to put one onshore for obvious reasons. You know, if you wanted to build a, a, um, a wind turbine, it's going to be easier for you to put one in a field than it is 100 miles off the, off the coast. Um, they also, they have less wear and tear onshore because the wind isn't quite so strong. So and they tend to be smaller as well, so they can yeah. they can last a little bit longer. But the problem with them is obviously they're smaller, so they don't generate so much money or income or power, because um, you know it is an economy. Someone's got to make money somewhere, and people tend to not like living with them, and the wind is less consistent. And it's just simple things yeah. like the maintenance of them is easier. They tend to be easier to get to if they're onshore compared to having to go on a boat out into the middle of nowhere and and then mm -hmm. fix them. Um, wherever it is that they're they're based. So one of the things that I've read about the offshore ones is that they're only ever put into water that's like less than 60 metres deep. It's more often that they're in water that's about 20 metres deep or so. Yeah, this um, Haunty one you mentioned, this ginormous wind farm just off the coast of um, England. It's an area, by the way, this, this wind farm. It's an area five times the size of Hull, the city of Hull, the the area of this wind farm <laughs> which is that's crazy yeah but the water said, yeah the water there the, you know the reason they pick there is because it's very windy it's consistently windy so the, the blades are going to be spinning almost all the time or, or as often as they can but also the water itself is only between 20 and 40 meters deep which is nuts because you think the sea I, I think the sea is like hundreds and hundreds of meters deep all the as soon as you go yes. out of the beach <laughs> yes yeah 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 if you dropped in there though and you had a 20 meters of water below you you would probably freak out and think there's some sharks or something there yeah so i think probably the first thing i looked at this week was how do they install them offshore so when we're talking about this 
how on earth do you put a wind turbine or in this case 174 wind turbines 100 mile no what is it 120k about 75 miles off the coast like it's like you can't just crane it from shore no. and just drop it in like do you want to explain? It's, yeah, we both watched so, the same video of this. So, do you want to have a go at explaining it? Yeah, definitely. So, what they do is, as we've sort of mentioned already, that the the turbines itself they're sort of put together in a kit format. So, there's four main parts to it. You've got the shaft, you've got the nacelle, which sits on the top, that box thing, and then you've got the blades, really. And what they do is they put all of those components, they transport them on a massive boat. That boat then sails out to where they need to have them installed. And it's pretty cool that the boat is called a sea jacker, isn't it? Yeah, the boat has got these massive legs. It's got like four massive towers standing up on itself, like like as if it's an upside down table, right? Imagine yes. an upside down table with four legs sticking up. When it gets to where it needs to be, those legs go down out the bottom of the boat. And they go down to the seabed because, like you said, the seabed's only, you know, in place only 20 meters. So these legs don't need to be too big. You yep. push them down at the bottom of the boat and it essentially lifts the boat off the water and turns the boat into what sort of looks like an oil rig. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it? And it's super, it's not moving. It's super solid. And then from there, they essentially, so the first thing they drop in the sea, they just ram it into the seabed, don't they, essentially? They just yeah, take they, this huge shaft and they, they just hammer it in. They take something called a monopile which is about 80 metres long and it weighs a thousand tonnes. And yeah, like you say, they just smash it into the seabed and then that forms the, the pole and the, the, the pillar that the, the base and then the shaft then sit on. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. It's, yeah. Just imagine like taking a pencil, going to the sand and just pushing the pencil into the sand until there's only about, I think don't they only have like 10 metres above le sea level or something. They push it to a point where it's only about 10 metres above sea level. Yes then they can sit the the bit so this foundation we're talking about this isn't the white bit this is just a huge massive like pipe that they jam into the ground then they can sit the big tall white or gray tower on top of that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's um, a specialist hydraulic ram <laughs> that smashes yeah. it into place and then it just all gets craned into place um and they, they can do it um they just crane them all in off, off of this funny oil rig sort of boat then when yeah. it's done it lifts his legs back up so it starts floating moves on to the next place just does another one it, and I read it takes about 24 hours to install one turbine. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's pretty quick. Considering how big these are, if we're talking about things that have got blades that are 75 metres long, um, you know, these are, these are pretty big things and just making sure it all fits into place. And it's, it's funny, isn't it, seeing the blades attached to the nacelle at the top? It almost looks like it should be like a giant piece of Lego where they all sort of like click in and... Mm -hmm. Um, all lock into yeah. place to make it super easy yeah. to one of the um, as easy as possible to to put together we were saying earlier about like size is king with wind turbines and the, the bigger they are the better and we'll talk about some of the ones in the future shortly um but one of the benefits of them making them offshore is that they can transport them much easier on a boat when we're talking about these these sink so these blades are one piece, aren't they? This 80 meter blade, yes. you know, in, some of them are approaching 100 meters now. These blades, to you might have seen them trying to transport them on the roads. Yes. They've got to have like two lorries, don't they? And like going around corners is nuts because like the front bit comes around, but the blade can't turn because it's... It, but they put them on a boat quite easily because boats are enormous. Yeah. So what they're actually doing now, the, the thing that's limiting them now, as you say, just going bigger and bigger is 
better all the time. The thing that's limiting them now is that there's the blade has to be a single piece. There's yep. no technology to be able to break that blade down into multiple parts to then transport it more easily. Yep. And so because these blades are so enormous and they need to be a single piece, we just don't have the transport. We don't have the, it's, it's either way too challenging or it's just way too expensive. It starts to negate mm -hmm. the benefit of it if you're having to transport something so enormous. Um, and so that's what's holding them back from creating them even further, just that they can't transport the blades. But they are at the minute, aren't they? So like the factories in which they are being built, the factories themselves are being built next to ports. Yes. So that like logistically, they just take them out of the factory straight onto a boat and then it's, you know, just take it straight offshore. Um, but yeah, I think offshore is where they're going, like where they're moving. But I know the government have, they've de-incentivized making, um, like making them onshore like they usually oh, okay. tax breaks and stuff if you make them onshore. Okay. And I'd read somewhere that they've they've stopped that as much as they used to because they want them to go offshore. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also so, with, with the offshore, what what you were saying there earlier is that the wind is more consistent and more reliable. And mm -hmm. so trying to make sure that as much of them are out in the sea as possible is, is a good thing, which then means that they should be then more reliable. And you should avoid those issues where I was saying earlier about when you drive past one and it's not spinning, like why why does that happen so how efficient is a wind turbine only that's almost like you segued into that perfectly <laughs> so we were going to say weren't we? we wanted to say like how efficient they are and um you want to go what what were, you, what were you telling me about how often they produce their electricity that was quite a good one so yeah so the modern wind turbine produces electricity 70 to 85 percent of the time yeah. But it obviously generates different amounts of electricity depending on the speed of the wind that it's coming into contact with. But yeah. over yeah. A, the course of a year, a turbine would generate only about 30% of its theoretical maximum output. And so, you know, again, just taking into account that it might not be running all the time, especially if it's on yeah. land and the different wind speeds that, that might be there. And it could be idle at some points that it will probably generate about 30% of its theoretical maximum output. So they're most efficient at approximately when the wind is about 25 miles per hour. That's when it's generating um, its most or its most efficient electricity. Obviously, the wind is not at that speed all the time. So okay. when we're saying it only generates 30% of its theoretical maximum output, that means that, you know, had it been 25 mile per hour winds for the whole year, that would be 100% theoretical yes. maximum. But yep. that is not the case. They don't do that. Isn't what actually happens. So, so what happens if there's not enough wind? Or how fast do they need to to be going in the first place? So it needs to be about eight miles per hour. The wind, doesn't it? That's yeah. what it needs to be doing to get going. But the problem at lower speeds is that the the blades they need to use some of that wind power to actually get spinning. So they're yeah. less efficient at lower speeds because the wind power that's hitting them, which they could be converting to electricity, they don't because they lose some of the power from getting started and then yeah so uh, did you read about the bets limit i thought this was quite interesting quickly there is a there's a theoretical limit to the amount of wind energy that can be converted into electricity that is the amount of wind that hits the fan <laughs> uh they, they can only convert <laughs> theoretically the limit of any wind uh, of any turbine is 59.3 percent because 
the rest of the wind goes through the fan. Obviously, back out, you know, if you stood behind a fan, you would feel the wind coming through it. Yes. So if we were saying these were 100% efficient, that would mean they're converting all of the wind into electricity, which would mean there is no wind coming out the back of the, the blade, which is impossible. That's not going to Yes. Happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was um, reading that the blades are actually, the way that they're built, they're sort of modelled on like a helicopter's blade in as much that yep. the way that they're shaped, it's deliberate to then almost create lift that you see in flight where it creates yep. low pressure on one side and high pressure on the other, which then tries to make it continually spin. But where you were saying about it's optimal at about 25 miles an hour, what happens if the wind then starts going 26 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour? doesn't produce any more, does it? I thought right. that was quite interesting. You know, it's going to hit a speed that is that is the most electricity it can generate. And I, I think that must have something to do with the generator inside it. Like, it doesn't matter how much it spins at that point. You're only going to generate a certain amount. Yes. So, you know, you hit you hit your 25, 30 miles an hour, whatever it might be for your particular turbine. But if it was 40 miles an hour, you're not suddenly going to make boatloads more electricity. No. And then even if it gets to, I think it was 55 miles an hour, it then yeah, has a shut off, doesn't it? It then yeah, it it's too off. windy and it could start to damage itself. So it then shuts itself off. So you'd think, wouldn't you, that, well, if it's just super, super windy, you just make even more electricity. But obviously that's not the case. No, no, this is true. So we did say that we would mention, because I suppose we've probably said most of them, some of the advantages and just pros and cons, if you like, about like yeah. wind energy. I think it's a good idea just to sort of, put them together in groupings we sort of mentioned them yeah. as we've been talking about it anyway but in terms of yeah what did you find as sort of some of the pros then for wind energy uh it's super clean as an energy source isn't it there's no pollutants there's no chemicals produced like some of the other ones like coal or, or whatever nothing's been burnt or anything like that it's renewable it's sustainable it's going to literally be here forever it's free it's not going anywhere it's free um it doesn't once it's up and running operational costs are low so once you've got one you don't really have a lot of out of expenditure you know once it's there and going um disadvantages are that it's very expensive to, to put one in there in the first place you know if you've got to go and make a wind turbine 100 miles off the coast that's not a cheap undertaking you know from day one no there's there's a lot of expenditure in the first place isn't there to to get in any of them set up anywhere um one of the one of the massive things obviously as well that we were just saying in terms of a con about it is that it's reliant on the wind and the wind isn't always consistent. So that's why yeah, they're just, then trying to go more out into the sea because you do get more consistent wind out in the ocean, yeah. um, which is, yeah, it's a big downfall of trying to get wind energy when you haven't got wind. Yeah, and I think they're the, probably the two key ones. There is what there is um, noise pollution. And it, so I think it was the, what's the bird protection people? Is it the RSPB? I think this is right. Um, I'd read with them or, or somebody saying that although wind farms um or wind turbines can hurt animals like because they fly into them for example they accept that climate change is much worse yes so like it's like to them the the lesser of two evils is to put some wind turbines up and try and like stop climate change because that's going to kill less birds yeah yeah and there was also something about so there's there's a uh tends to be a red beacon on top of the the wind turbines which they need to be put in place for aviation purposes for low-flying aircraft not to go into them but it does attract bats and some other yeah. flying animals to them um, and so yeah bats and that sometimes get caught up in the wind turbines 
so it, yeah it can yeah. be a threat to threat to wildlife that, that's out there okay well so what's the future hold for wind turbines do you look into that because we said we would and I, I thought that's quite a good one yes uh, this is more more for a uk based one but the uk are going pretty hard into it aren't they they are sort of they're saying by 2050 they want to be carbon neutral and they're sort of seeing wind as the factor for them to be able to to do that just by putting in more and more wind farms and, and making the most out of it so it does seem to be something that more and more countries are getting into for for those reasons oh just really quickly did you see anywhere about in terms of the countries with the highest wind energy capacity so the countries with the most wind farms in place yeah so uh, uh, we are the sixth largest wind energy producer in the world the uk yep. um approximately 14 percent of our energy comes from wind farms at the minute yeah. um split almost evenly at the minute between onshore and offshore but i'm sure that's going to go like much more towards offshore but aren't we behind to china usa spain put me on the spot here denmark and another one i can't remember that's pretty good no i like that so yeah china's number one usa number two then it's germany india and spain ah oh, germany and india nice yeah good yeah, work so we're sick but in, um, so in, in terms of then the, the future, um, they're, they're trying to build a, a pretty massive one, aren't they? Called the, is it the Halidex? Yeah. So, yeah, as we said, bigger is better. So there's a, um, a prototype finished, built, signed off, like it's going to get built. It's called the Halidex. Um, it's sitting in Rotterdam at the minute. But we were talking about scales earlier. This is 260 metres tall which is about an 85-storey building. Now, we were talking before we started recording this, weren't we? How high is that? The shard is, I think the shard's about 300 metres. So we're talking like not much smaller than the shard in London is how tall this wind turbine is. Its blades, just a single blade, is 107 metres long, which is longer than the wingspan of an A380. So that's, that's longer than an American football pitch. Yeah, isn't that like 100 yards? It's like 90 yeah. metres, isn't it's it? Longer yeah, it's longer than... than one blade. That's not that's not one blade to the other blade. That's just one to the middle. And that's further than Usain Bolt runs his 100 metres. Like, these, yeah. these are enormous. That's absolutely enormous what they're, they're yeah, putting so they, in Yeah, so they've already been... They've already been signed off. There's um there's going to be a huge wind farm off Yorkshire called the... I think it's called Dogger Bank or the Dogger Bank Wind Farm. That's what I remember. And they've, they've agreed to use these. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a pie in the sky. This is happening. Um. Yeah, these are just unbelievably sized wind turbines. So I think the, you know, the future is bigger and better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that dogger, that dogger bank, they're saying, will produce 5% of the UK's energy by 2026, which wow. just that one place will do it. But in terms of other future of, of wind, um, did you look into anything around the floating wind farms as well? That seems to be coming in. No, I, I read about them, but... I, go i didn't read enough to write it down it's it's more so they, they look exactly the same as the offshore wind farms that you see apart from they float so they've not drilled they've not used a hydraulic ram to smash in a massive monopile they've made them float and it's using the technology that's come from the oil and gas industry which is probably a good thing that you've got something from the, the fossil fuel industry now being used in the renewable yeah, energy yeah. of having yeah. those floating oil rigs. Um, and yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really 
cool, the technology behind it. it. What it also means with them being floating is that they're not restricted to 50 meter depths of water. Yeah. So you can put them way out into sea where you get even more wind than what you get nearer the shore. Um, so yeah, they they say that it can have maximum depths 10 times deeper than where a fixed rig could be. And then the lines come back under. So they're sort of tethered by those, those lines that generate, that collect the energy, take it back to a substation and then, then go out. But yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And then there was there was a weird one that I got. This was my bit of a rabbit hole this week, was looking into high altitude wind power. And this is where like they're basically, yeah, that's it. They're basically trying to use kites. And the theory being is that if you go higher into the atmosphere, the wind is faster moving. And so try and harness some of that wind by putting, if you imagine just yeah. putting some propeller blades on a massive kite, sending it up into the atmosphere and generating way more energy in a much shorter amount of time. Couldn't they just put a fan, like a turbine, on on a plane? And if they flew the plane up there, as the planes fly and the fan is the the, the turbine is spinning, would that not generate electricity? <laughs> I tell you what, I will ask that to our topic expert interview, <laughs> and I will look like a fool, but I, that's an interesting one. But if you think um, about it, it makes sense. Like if you were to throw a kite into the jet stream, the jet stream has winds of like a hundred miles an hour. So if yeah, you could yeah, have the the technology to cope with those winds and bringing it back down into um, into land, you could create so much energy. So it's a yeah. pie in the sky thinking at the moment, but sounds like it could be an interesting one. Okay, well. We're about done there, aren't we? Rapid. We better have a couple of topic takeaways. Um, takeaways, haven't we? Two guys, one topic. Yeah, that sounds good. Got. I got a very quick, brief one though. Just talking about the Halliade X, that new massive wind turbine. Right, very quick one. When they start building these, one rotation of that blade will power a house for two days. That is ridiculous. <laughs> one Just rotation. One spin. One spin. One house. Two days. Wow. And that's one of them. You know, imagine they're going to go off and build 100 of them. Like, it's bonkers. Wow. So, that's amazing. Hey, that's super go. cool. Go on. What's yours? So my two guys, one topic takeaway, it just got me thinking about, so why do turbines have three blades? And Go on. So you would think, like, if you have more blades, it would be better. It'd be faster, but actually it has the opposite effect. So it would increase drag. So... Three okay. blades is the optimum number for, for reducing drag. But the reason why they then don't go lower, why they don't have two blades, is because they would then wobble and be off balance. So by having three blades, you've then always got the, the, the angular momentum that it needs to have one at the top, two at the bottom, which then means that it will then balance out, and then it can smoothly spin as fast as possible. So yeah, if you're ever driving, if you're driving past one now, I know there's one on the M4. If you're driving past one of the turbines now, yeah, yeah. and you wonder why has it got three blades? Well, it's so that two blades it would wobble. Three blades is the optimum number for it to balance and spin smoothly. And when you look at it, imagine it was much, much bigger than that, and that'd be these new ones. Like, oh, I've got to know, say this as well. Blades, imagine its blades were twice the size. I've got to ask you this, Liam, as well. You're talking about the the Halliade X. One of the things I always think about with the wind turbines is that why do they spin so slowly? It looks like they're 
you know, they're, why are they going around so slowly? But how fast is the the tip of the Haliadex blades going around? 200 miles an hour. That's to do with... Um, how fast? 200 miles an hour is the tip. <laughs> Mental, isn't it? That's to do with, like, circumference of a circle. Like, the inner bit doesn't go as... You know, if it goes one spin in, like, whatever, 10 seconds. The, the very centre of the blade only rotates whatever the, the small circle is. The outside blade has still got only 10 seconds to get around its massive circle, which means its pace or its speed is much, much higher. It's traveling further in the same amount of time. No way. 200 miles an hour. So yeah, the, the normal the normal blades that you see will be going like 150 at their tip. Yeah. But yeah. that is just, uh, yeah, that is ridiculous. Okay, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, definitely super interesting. So then Liam, if you were to now meet somebody and they said oh i'm interested to know a little bit more about wind turbines do you think you could tell them a little bit about them absolutely and hopefully everybody listening feels exactly the same i I could certainly talk about it for five minutes it's very interesting we might have to put the post up of that video of them installing them offshore because that alone is interesting enough go and watch this boat put a turbine offshore because it's it's properly nuts like to think that that is really what happens um but Definitely. Yeah, yeah, completely. So just, yeah, finding out how the energy gets transferred was really interesting. And then, um, yeah, why is it that they stop sometimes? Because it's either too little wind or, or too much wind and it shuts itself off. And, yeah, I feel like I could have a better idea about what some of the future in, is in store for wind production, renewable wind energy. But we've got something exciting coming up we need to let everyone know about, don't we? Over the next couple of weeks. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, we say it at the end normally, but let's just say it now. Follow us at Two Guys One Topic. Coming up soon, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to do our second ever listener choice episode. So we're going to give you the chance to vote um, on anything you want us to talk about, and we will choose that topic. But you may remember that before we did that last time, we each had our own topic, didn't we? Yep. And Ollie's, Ollie's choice. choice or Liam's, Liam's choice. choice. So next week we're going to do Liam's choice episode. Uh, the following week we will do Ollie's choice the week after that we will do listeners choice so if you're not following us um, you know we, I know for a fact we've got loads of listeners who don't follow us so if you want to have a say on what, what we talk about please follow us at two guys one topic on any of the socials but Ollie what do you think the topic's going to be that I'm going to choose <laughs> so for everyone listening I don't know what this is and this is partly the reason why we do it so that because when we when we think about what topics we want to cover, we're both sort of interested in learning about them. But there's always those ones where one of us will say it and the other one will sort of pull a bit of a face and think, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> so I don't know what this choose, is. <laughs> one week I'm going to choose hubcaps. But okay, next week's topic, spoiler alert. You oh, do not, no. Next Tuesday, you're going to know what it's going to be already because I'm telling you now, we are going to research cargo shipping. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I watched the film. If you have not seen the film, uh, Captain Phillips, or Captain Philip, or Captain Phillips, the one with Tom Hanks. As soon as I watched that, I wanted to know about cargo shipping. And I picked my phone up to start Googling it. I thought, no, that's going to be what we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to actually research it. So we're doing cargo shipping. Genuinely, the topic is it cargo shipping. Yeah, cargo shipping, how it works, logistics of it, dangers of it. Because they're talking about pirates and things like that. I thought, that's so interesting. Let's learn about that. Oh, so, wow. two weeks, um, no, not in two weeks, next week. Uh, we will do an episode on cargo shipping. I don't so. think I would have guessed that in a million years. Oh, that's right. nice. Looking forward to getting into it. Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Like we said, follow us at Two Guys One Topic. Share some knowledge. 
um, when you have done so or when you've listened to this. Thank you very much, everybody. Talk to you soon.